Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference. Okay, we're back with three more conversations that were recorded live on site at CanMed 2022 in the CanMed Coffee Talk Lounge. First up is Cultivation Keynote presenter Seth Crawford from Oregon CBD. Seth and I talked about a number of things, including THCV, how it's synthesized in the plant, and why it's an important cannabinoid for hemp farmers, why industrial hemp has not taken off the way some have predicted, and we talked about Oregon CBD's move into the THC market, offering triploid and tetraploid varieties to cannabis growers. This is very exciting stuff because up until this point, Oregon CBD has been exclusively focused on hemp. Next up is Inia Fia, Chief Scientific Officer from CannaSafe. Innie gave an oral presentation about how he and other California labs are preparing for the Department of Cannabis Control's efforts to standardize lab testing in the state and crack down on lab shopping. So of course we talked about the problem of lab shopping and how it harms everyone in the industry from consumers to lawmakers. Innie also took part in a panel discussion about cannabis nutrients so we briefly talked about how different cannabis cultivars can uptake nutrients differently. Last but certainly not least, I had the pleasure of speaking with Daddy Mary of the Technion Institute in Israel, who gave an oral presentation at CanMed 2022 and also spoke at our VIP dinner. Daddy shares his vision of the future in which medicinal plants and polypharmacology will gain more acceptance from healthcare providers. He also explains why he believes cannabis opened the door for this new possibility. As I said, these conversations were recorded live at CanMed 2022, and there are video versions of each of them up on our YouTube page. I'll provide a link in the show description to make it easy to find them if you're so inclined. Before we get to my conversation with Seth, Innie, and Deddy, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, and the sponsor of the CanMed Coffee Talk Lounge, Medicine Women Health. Medicine Women's team of specialists includes medical doctors, naturopaths, medical cannabis experts, nutritionists, and alternative health practitioners. These integrative teams evaluate health issues and design targeted protocols to promote personal healing. Medicine Women's Protocols have successfully alleviated symptoms of cancer, autoimmune diseases, and neurological conditions, as well as providing overall health rejuvenation. Learn more at medicinewomenhealth.com. Okay, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversations with Seth Crawford, Inia Fia, and Deddy Miri. Welcome, everyone, back to the CanMed Coffee Talk Lounge here at CanMed 2022. I'm your host, Ben Amaralt, host of the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast. And I have Seth Crawford here joining me in the Coffee Talk Lounge, our cultivation keynote presenter. Seth, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And how nice is it to be back at an in-person event here at CanMed? And what are you looking to get out of the event? 
Uh, pretty excited about it. This is the first time that we've gone to a conference in three years. Um, very, very excited about a number of the presentations. Uh, just really excited to see what's happened in three years. Uh, it's, there's been an absolute, just obvious decline in, in public events, and this is going to be a great chance to reconnect with a lot of people that were not necessarily even in the story three years ago. Right. So it's very exciting. Yeah, and you mentioned presentations that you're looking forward to. What are some of those? Uh, really looking forward to Keith Allen's talk on terpenes, nice. uh, Jordan Zager's talk on sort of the, the whole pantheon of how to how to create good cannabis for consumers. Um, stoked about Kevin McKernan's talk on psilocybin. Mm -hmm. um, we we played a small role in that and doing some of the early sequencing work. So we're very excited to see what direction that's gone. Um, and to be perfectly honest, I'm very excited, probably the most excited to see Alicia Holloway talking about THCV breeding efforts with phylos. And the reason I'm excited about it is I can't wait to see how people react to phylos. Just leave it at that. Yeah, and THCV, you have some experience breeding that as well. A lot. So THCV is identical to CBDV, CBGV, CBCV, et cetera, in terms of the precursor chemicals. So what that presentation is really going to be about are the underlying genomic regions of interest that make varin production possible. The, uh, the findings are going to be interesting because it's probably going to be the same thing that we found. And we did that with the SNP chip along with Eurofins and in medicinal genomics about two years ago to identify different chromosomes that had associations with that, uh, that particular trait. It's polygenic, it's spread across at least six different chromosomes, very difficult from a breeding perspective. Mm. Um, the title of her talk is about THCV, but the real underlying information is about those, those precursor genes that allow all of the other cannabinoids to happen. So we've been doing identical parallel research, so very curious to see what they found. <laughs> Excellent, and, and yeah, and it's interesting you say that, and if I understand this correctly, so it's the same enzymes or the same pathways creating THCA or THCV, it's just that precursor molecule that's different? Uh, yeah, so the gene responsible for THC production is the same gene that makes THCV. Right. So it's a THCAS, and the same thing's true with CBDAS, CBCAS, and on uh, the underlying CBGAS on chromosome X, that's responsible for creating all the precursors in general. But you're just looking at two different metabolic pathways, one that's pental, one that's propyl, uh, with different upstream regulation. Um, both of our research has basically been looking at the propyl version of that, looking at the upstream components. Okay, and so what is the importance of THCV or what is the potential use for it? Uh, we were using it to help farmers get around some of the regulatory requirements with industrial hemp production uh, because THCV, when it's in the plant, is not part of the 0.3 total THC that's allowed. And so we can basically create higher cannabinoid content plants that have both CBD and CBDV uh, in the fraction mm. while reducing the total, the total amount of THC. Um, from a medical perspective, I'm really not an expert on that, but the people who are studying it have looked at a number of different potential applications, uh, specifically related to the things that are interesting to me anyway, uh, looking at diabetes and potential help with insulin resistance. So that's absolutely fascinating to me. Um, really, it's about making these compounds available. THCV has not been available widely, uh, neither CBDV or CBGV. Getting these into people's hands is really what's gonna tell us what they're effective in treating. Excellent. Okay, so as we mentioned, you're a keynote presenter, and the title of your talk is Cannabis 2022, The Golden Year of Discovery. Now, 
Back when you first signed on to be the keynote presenter, that was going to be CanMed 2020. And that was the title of your yeah. talk was Cannabis 2020, the golden year of discovery. Yeah. So I guess what has happened in those two years and how are you going to cram that all into a one hour presentation? So much information <laughs> and quite honestly, busted, right? I just recycled the same, uh, the same title. And the reality, the underlying reality here is that cannabis as a plant doesn't really give a damn about social constructs. Mm. Years are the same to the plant, it doesn't matter. If it's still alive and able to grow, it's the golden year for the plant itself. And I think being able to look at this from the perspective of plants rather than from the human perspective is sometimes enlightening in terms of the way that we look at the world. Um, it's not so much about social constructs as it is understanding that just being able to have these plants available to us and being able to use them is probably one of the best times to be alive in this country. But in terms of real research that has happened in the last three years, um, we were shooting in the dark in 2018. We were doing things basically through brute force approaches um, that a lot of the genomic and more technical tools have allowed us to do away with. Mm -hmm. and so it's rapidly expanded our ability to breed. Uh, make selections when plants are seedlings rather than full-grown plants. Um, I mean, it's just incredible in terms of the amount of discovery that's happened in the last three years. Yeah. And I know that when we've spoken in the past, one of the, at least what you said, one of the main reasons that your company focuses on hemp is because, you know, obviously the regulations around how much cannabis you can grow, where there's fewer restrictions on hemp, so you can do sort of these large-scale breeding projects. Um, so as you mentioned, some of these genomic tools that can, you know, maybe reduce your footprint, and you don't have to have so many plants. Is there any chance you could um, be staring into cannabis instead of hemp? Uh, it's all the same. So to answer right. it coyly, yes, um, we're going to have an announcement tomorrow. Uh, we are entering the THC breeding space. Excellent. Um, that's going to be a little bit of the, the final part of the presentation. Wow, exclusive. And it's a very, yeah, this is the place to release it. This is a great conference. And, uh, you know, there's a number of people that are making significant waves in the industry. And we'd love to be able to share that information. Um, there have been in the last three months, some dramatic changes at the federal level in terms of policy that with a few LLCs and some other uh, uh, legal approaches that allow us to basically get into the THC market. So we're really excited to be able to offer triploids and tetraploid seed varieties for THC growers around the country. Wow, yeah, that is exciting. Super exciting. Yeah, and I mean, I guess to kind of go back to that, and I know it's, it's an issue in the universities as well, where a lot of universities, they're starting hemp programs, but it is restricted to hemp. Um, and as you mentioned, it is pretty much the same plant. It's just sort of that 0.3 THC designation. But, you know, is there some differences there? Are, are some of these universities kind of missing out on some, you know, potential discoveries because they're only focused on hemp? No, because the only thing that makes a chemical difference in the plant is a single gene on chromosome 7, for the most part. So any of the other elements that are on chromosome 7, we're going to talk a little bit about that tomorrow, uh, they could potentially be something that we're missing out on because there's not a lot of recombination that happens between the chromosomes. Um, the universities themselves at this point have basically, and this is the great part of the 2018 Farm Bill, they have been allowed relatively free reign, and it really comes down to their risk assessment. Certain universities have been very risk avoidant and have not gone into uh, more, and say, exhaustive surveys of what's available. Um, other universities have. Uh, Cornell's a really good example of that mm -hmm. in my mind, in that they were, they were willing to engage in field trials from 2018 on of any germplasm that people were willing to submit for industrial hemp. 
And the reality was, they've got a couple of really good publications out of this, was that there were a lot of people who were just doing poor breeding. They didn't understand the underlying mechanisms that allowed people to grow CBD dominant varieties and still have it be considered hemp under the federal guidelines. Uh, so they were submitting type two plants and type one plants in a lot of cases that were you know eight to 12 to 15% THC. And the moral of the story here is that the world didn't end. Cornell grew these plants, they assessed them and they said, hey, Farmers need to be aware that people are selling stuff that will get them put in jail. Um, that was a huge public service and I, you know, should definitely be applauded, whereas other universities have not gone that route. So in summary, universities are working with cannabis and it's actually fairly revolutionary. It hasn't happened in a very long time and there's great research results coming out of it. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, I did want to mention something that I read in your abstract and you say that um, you talk about the long-standing promise of the plant in food, fiber, medicine, and unknown unknowns. Um, and so why do you believe hemp has not really lived up to the, its billing as this super crop that can replace all these other crops? Because it seems like most of the cultivation has been focused on cannabinoids. It really has. And to be honest, I think a lot of this has to do with the history of people making um, really expansive promises based on very little data. So a lot of the, the research mm. that people were looking at in terms of grain, looking at you know like super capacitors out of hemp fiber great research um, really really interesting it got people thinking that hemp could do a, a million different things and it can but the reality is is that the actual fundamental research that's required to bring those things to fruition hasn't occurred and at the same time many of the things that were over promised essentially are not going to materialize in the U.S. You know, grain and fiber crops are not competitive economically in the U.S. compared to Canada, China, or France, other major producers that have been doing this for a number of years. But at the end of the day, it may not matter because some of the research that's, that's now being done, uh, a great one done at Oregon State this past year on using industrial hemp grain and fiber as a food source for animals, mm -hmm. for livestock. Um, this is going to allow small farmers to feed their animals in a more efficient way based off of a crop that's actually produced right there in their backyard. So I think the way that we need to think about it should change rather than looking at it as some sort of economic driver that's going to make everybody a billionaire and the world's going to be driving around hemp infused cars. We really need to look at the actual practical applications of what we can do with this plant and how we can leverage its plastic plasticity to help farmers and other people who can actually use it. So, excellent. There's a bright future out there. Yeah, I know it sounds like it. Um, all right, so in, in wrapping up here, um, just curious to get your thoughts that, you know, given that a lot of this research, although we talked about the universities are getting back into it, but still a lot of the research being done into this plant is by privately funded companies. And with that said, maybe speak to the importance of coming to an event like CanMed and sharing that information with the community instead of kind of keeping it close to the vest. I mean, obviously yeah. you got to keep some things for yourself, but it's really hard uh, to be, to be honest. I understand where a lot of these companies are coming from the, the cannabis marketplace for as much economic benefit and as, as much of a impact as it has. Um, most producers are really having a hard time staying in business. Yeah. Um, Suppliers of, of technical equipment are having a hard time, you know, helping the, the hemp market out. They're having a hard time dealing with the cannabis market. It's just constantly in flux. Um, where we go from there uh, is going to be largely determined by the way that we deal with that data. And I personally view data as essentially like 
you know, it's money. It's something that took money to create, but it's also not something that as companies, we're going to be able to do anything with when we're gone. And so what is the point in hoarding that data and not being able to make it public? Something that we find that we may have questions about when it goes out to collaborators or to the general public, other scientists, maybe they have an idea about how to fix that or how to do something more unique with it. You know, we can come up with all kinds of ideas, but at the end of the day, it's not what we do, it's what other people are able to do with it that ends up having the lasting legacy. And we're more concerned about being able to push science forward and to be able to make this plant more accessible to as many people as possible um, without getting caught up with money. And it's the unfortunate reality of, of life in general, but uh, we're doing whatever we can to get around that. All right. Well, Seth, we're glad to have you here at CanMed. Thanks for having me. For another year. And thanks for joining us in the Coffee Talk Lounge. And um, hope you have a great event. You as well. Thank you very much. Welcome back to the CanMed Coffee Talk Lounge here at CanMed 2022. I'm here with Eni Afia, Lab Director of CanaSafe. Chief Science Officer. Oh, I am sorry. <laughs> Chief Science Officer, Eni Afia. Thank you for correcting me. No problem. Good to see you, Eni. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be back at an in-person event, no? Oh, it's fantastic. I'm glad you were able to make this happen. Yeah. Yeah. And now, in your opinion, what's the main value that you get out of coming to conferences like CanMed? Um, honestly, the networking is invaluable. Um, just the ability to socialize, I mean, given what's happened in the last couple of years, just the ability to socialize with folks, uh, that's invaluable. But for me, it's about uh, the tidbits of new information that you always learn. Um, you know, the cannabis plant is so complex that anytime you get to sit with some bright minds and, and see what they've been doing over the last year or so, in this case, it's been a few years, um, lots of great research. I'm really excited to really uh, get to learn, especially what we've just been through with the uh, medical practicum. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You were sitting in on that one? Yeah, I was sitting in on that one, and it is fantastic. I tell you, no matter how much you think you know, um, even if it's a regurgitation of the same information from previous years, you always find things you've missed previously. Um, just being able to see research that's done not only on individual cannabinoids, but also on whole plant medicine. Sure. It's been fantastic. I mean, we're learning more and more about this plant. Um, I think it was uh, Dr. Sulak that spoke about there are a whole new class of compounds that are being found um, that have to do with um, uh, tryptophan or so in the cannabis leaves. I mean, hmm. it's really interesting stuff that you get to learn every time you I come here. So. Yeah, no, it's interesting you say that too, that even if you think you're a uh, cannabis medicine or yeah. just a cannabis expert, there yeah. are those little tidbits that maybe you didn't pick up on the last time and that you can take away. Yeah, precisely. I mean, it's just like um, um, a little bit of relearning. I mean, in anything you do, you have to practice, right? So even if you know it, just hearing it again over and over, it starts to stick and you get to understand a little bit more. So I think it helps us all in the industry just grow. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned the practicum. Um, any other presentations at CanMed that you're really looking forward to? Um, well, I mean, apart from mine, <laughs> um, honestly, I see a lot of uh, great info coming out of there. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what Dr. Muchulam has to offer. Um, now, he'll have a video presentation. It sounds really interesting. 
uh, with what he's got coming up. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Excellent, excellent. Um, so your presentation that you mentioned that we're all looking forward to um, <laughs> is about preparing for DCC standardization. Yeah. Um, and I know that one of the problems that the DCC is looking to solve with this standardization is lab shopping. Mm -hmm. So um, I was hoping you could maybe explain what the problem of lab shopping really is and how it kind of negatively affects multiple factors of the industry. Um, yeah, so essentially um, lab shopping is when uh, your clientele, a certain clientele, go from lab to lab, either looking for specific results or at least going to be able to compare the results that are being given by the uh, different labs and potentially find favorable results and um, from a certain lab and they would get testing with that lab for their compliance COA. So this is generally done in R&D. Um, and as we know, California has uh, 40 something or so labs. So there's plenty of options uh, to continually, you know, travel and check labs out until you find your favorable results. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's one of the situations where it's, it's not positive for anybody. I like to put it in a sense that everybody loses in that case. You know, we talked about how for one, a consumer loses. Let's say, for instance, you're talking about a potency result if somebody's shopping for a certain potency results on flower sample. Um, a consumer ends up buying a sort of a potentially inflated result, right? You're paying more for something that's not uh, particularly what you thought it is. So, right, you lose. You lose money right mm -hmm. there. Um, even the, through a distributor to distributor uh, getting sold that way, if you're paying higher because of a potentially falsely high result, they're losing, they're paying more. You know, all this sort of leads to a slippery slope where regulators lose control. Um, think about even the labs that do this thing. So labs start to lose in a sense that uh, they are producing this false results. Labs that don't produce this end up, you know, maybe losing revenue, eventually closing down or, you know, laying off employees. In that case, the employees lose, mm -hmm. right? keeps going, <laughs> employees lose, right? They potentially get on unemployment, uh, state loses, right? We as taxpayers end up paying for this, so it's just a slippery slope of yeah. um, continual losses that um, there's really uh, no winner in this game. Yeah, no, and you mentioned that there's a large number of testing labs in California, and there is, I imagine, some pressure of labs to give favorable results in order to, like you said, keep, keep their business open. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really unfortunate yeah, situation. You know, it's really unfortunate. And yeah, there is that high pressure and it's it's not easy. I mean, I've faced that pressure myself. You just have to be able to, um, you know, be able to meet your consumers or I should say your clientele's need without going into unscrupulous areas, sure. right? Um, somehow it's not easy to stay in business, but there are plenty of ways lab can stay in business as they sort of pivot around cannabis, cannabis testing. There's much more you can do apart from, you know, uh, potentially giving um, inflated potency results. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and I know that one of those ways that labs can kind of provide more value to their clients is offering more R&D testing or offering testing services that aren't necessarily on the compliance panel, right. like virus testing, for example. And I know that you at Canisafe have yep. been doing yep. that. Uh, precisely. I mean, we're always looking for uh, what offers more value. Again, this industry, we're only getting to learn a little bit more. Um, there's so much more to learn. We're only learning very tidbit of what it has to offer. So yeah, we're offering um, some value-added services like uh, uh, viral testing, um, HLVD, beat curly. We're also looking at stability testing, you know, something that folks are not really kind of, um, most folks are not paying attention to, but they should be because that's coming up as you start to talk about expiry dating. 
how are you really determining that? Is it per ICH guidelines? So we start to offer some of those um, value-added services that um, are um, undervalued. <laughs> yeah, that's excellent. No, kind of going back to the issue of lab shopping and its potency in particular, mm -hmm. I got to imagine part of the issue with that too is just this idea that THC values are the determiner of quality. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe if that w weren't the case, then there wouldn't be so much pressure in getting those high potency numbers. You know, that's really it. I mean, that's a great point. Um, where, you know, you go to your dispensary and the first thing you see is usually, you know, you have several shelves and they have the top shelf and it's really the THC numbers that get highlighted. Um, it's really interesting because the labs do all this work to produce a beautiful COA mm. with all these assays, terpenes and other things. And yet the THC gets highlighted and nobody um, apart from the buyers and sellers ever really get to see that COA. It's really meant for the consumer. Um, so there's a lot more in there that I think we need to pay attention to. You know, a lot of, um, I'm starting to do a lot of work on um, some other compounds such as flavonoids, um, mm. we know has some great medicinal effects. Um, just to push the attention away from THC, um, you know, I'm starting to see, interestingly, even states starting to put limits on THC. Um, there is state like uh, Mississippi that's coming out with regulations that um, they're actually limiting their flour to 30 percent. So hmm. essentially, if those reg regulations stick, when you test a flour that's above 30 percent, it's an automatic fail. Wow. <laughs> and the interesting thing is they're um, adding in all the THC, so the variants, the oh, wow. uh, THC uh, Delta 8 and all of the above. So um, it's something that perhaps maybe it's not such a bad idea. Yeah, right. <laughs> Especially when you consider that flour is rarely ever higher than 30%. That's true. You really got to consider what is the uh, capacity, <laughs> you know, how much the kind of flour really produce, yeah. right? Uh, we're looking, we're talking in terms of uh, percent mass, right? So 30% is really pushing it. And some, some reason, you know, there are folks that grow 30% flour. I think it gets pushed a little further because we're doing by dry weight, right? The labs are... Um, the regulations say that you should test by dry weight. So when you say it's 30% and then you, it's about 12%, 10% moisture and you add that in, right? It bumps it up to high 30s. Mm. You know, now you're pushing 40. So people can kind of see how, you know, depending on how uh, that moisture content and how that dry weight is, uh, um, is added back into the math. Yeah, you start to push those limits. So the real flower percentage really is around maybe mid-20s, but then you end up pushing 30 because of dry weight. Interesting. Mm -hmm. No, and that's funny too, when you said that in Mississippi, if you test higher than 30% THC, you might fail. Right. So you might have some lab shopping going the other way, right? <laughs> it's really interesting because that's what's going to happen. So now, I guess if you grow anything good, relatively good, don't go to Mississippi and sell it. You know? um, right, so lab shopping is going to be the opposite way. Um, now, when you consider that you'd have to, yeah, add in all these other THC con um, components. Um, also, it's not even just flour. There, uh, the regulations state something about um, uh, concentrates being oh, wow. limited to 60%. So forget how all these 90% vape pens and isolates and whatnot. So it's going to be interesting to see if any other state kind of adopts those sort of regulations or if those Mississippi regulations actually stick. Yeah, that is one of the interesting ways. Um, it's one of the interesting outcomes of having multiple states enacting different regulations, right? It's kind mm -hmm. of like all these little test kitchens so you can see how these regulations work. Yeah, very true, very true. And, uh, you know, it, it's sort of what exacerbates the condition we're in with the different states having different regulations. So, you know, these multi-state organizations may have... Um, producers in certain state, you know, they, they uh, look for a certain type of uh, results and another state, they look for another type of results. So there's got to be some kind of 
congruency in this result, we have to start to be able to um, standardize some of these things. Right, so, it comes back to standardization, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> so in addition to your talk on standardization, you're also participating on a panel discussion that's all about nutrients and the mm -hmm. role that they play mm -hmm. in yield and cannabinoid output. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious, from the testing lab perspective, uh, do you see a lot of correlation between nutri uh, certain nutrients that are used and sort of the, the values that you see on mm -hmm. your tests? You know, that's very hard to pinpoint, you know, great question. Uh, we do get client requests to sort of do a nutrient analysis. Um, but what ends up happening is it's hard to say for a fact that it was because of certain nutrient that you are having this certain profile. What we do try to do for some of the nutrient analysis that are looking for, you know, you're looking for things like calcium, magnesium, potassium, all of those, is we have to sort of determine a mass balance. So. What is your input? And then you're testing the runoff water. What is that? And then you're testing the plant. How much is left in there? And you're mm. trying to do sort of a mass balance. Okay, my plant is uptaking this much and it's wasting this much or this much is going to the runoff. And, and see at what stages is it uptaking certain nutrients or is it just being, you know, uh, uh, washed off essentially. Uh, but it's been quite difficult to exactly say because you use a certain nutrient mixture that you're terpenes were greater. Certainly there's an effect, um, but I think more research has to be done. Mm. It's definitely an effect on using high quality nutrients and the right uh, proportion of nutrients at the certain growth stages. That's something you have <laughs> yeah. to consider that it's not, you know, the same throughout. It's not a pre-mixed new that you carry throughout the process. Um, but it's really interesting to note that, yes, you know, something I, I meant to say was that um, when we talk about nutrients, it's not just, you know, the beneficial ones. So things like metals. Um, if they happen to be in the nutrients. The plants holds on to it. Sure. What I found is that it's really cultivar dependent. You know, a lot of people do flushes at the end, but we found that certain cultivars like, uh, for instance, cadmium, will hold on to that a little bit more. So if the same nutrients that unfortunately contain cadmium was fed to your entire grow, different cultivars, um, you'll find that there's varying levels of cadmium, some passing and some failing the regulatory limit. Once you do your final COA, um, just because of how the plant actually holds on to that. You know, we know these plants as bioaccumulators, um, yep. but they can be released, uh, but the residual levels are different per certain uh, cultivars. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. No, and it's interesting, it kind of, it echoes the idea of the entourage effect, right? Like you have multiple nutrients that are yep. kind of having the synergistic effect to help your plant. Most certainly, most certainly. I think um, it plays throughout the whole uh, cannabis uh, industry, I should <laughs> yeah, say. Yeah, really, yeah. <laughs> And even here at CAMED, it takes all of us from all the different disciplines, from the, right. the scientific right. uh, directors here mm -hmm. into the medical professionals to all come together to better understand this plant. That's, that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it, covering all facets. You know, the, the, the clinicians are learning from the analytical chemistry. We're learning from the clinicians and it's all being tied together. I mean, uh, I don't think any of our work can be uh, separated in that sense. You, we, can, we sort of have to work together because uh, um, you know, whether you like it or not, the results are always tied together. So, yeah. um, I, you know, some, I, I like to say this, but somebody always said all boats rise in the tide and that's always clear in this industry. All right, I think it's a great place to stop. Yeah. So thanks again, Any yeah. Chief Scientific Officer yes, of CareSafe. I got <laughs> it right you. this time. <laughs> Thank you. Um, thanks again to our sponsors, Medicine Women Health and the Hemp Coffee Exchange.
Welcome back to the CanMed Coffee Talk Lounge. I am your host, Ben Amaral, host of the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, and I am here with Deddy Mary. Hi. Deddy, good to see you. Thanks. Good to be here. And nice to be here in person, no? Is this your first conference back since the pandemic? No, it's my third in the last three months, but it's for sure the first uh, cannabis conference and meeting all the friends here, literally, it's something that I missed and uh, it's it's amazing feeling face to face. Yeah. And so when you come to events like this, you know, what, what are you trying to get out of it? Is it just catching up with, with colleagues or trying to see what the latest innovations are? What's What's the biggest takeaway for you? I think it's all together. First of all, it's a good opportunity to sit and listen and, and learn and hear, hear new things. Second is the communication between you know colleagues and, and, and people. And we learned in the last two years that it's far from being the same with Zooms or uh, far away. Here you like, you finish the talk, you asking questions and then you getting out you have another hour, half an hour chat about this and that and that small talks and this is building the relationship this is building uh, you know collaboration and it's extremely important absolutely um, and you talked about the presentations are there any in particular at this year's CanMed that you're looking forward to yeah there was there are a few that I'm a big fan of them you know the regular one but uh, uh, also Stacy Gruber, which I really a uh, big fan of her work and I think she's going to present a few new things. But uh, don't understand me wrong, mainly the, you know, the, the, the new science, there is a lot of um, talks in these types of conference which giving big view about, you know, the endocannabinoids and that. This yeah, is yeah. enough for me already. Yep. Like I know the details and, and some of them I can repeat the, the, the talk by myself. But the new people, the, the, the people that really showing new science and unpublished data, and that is extremely interesting for me. Yeah, and you mentioned Stacy Gruber, um, and there, I know that there are others here at CanMed that are presenting more clinical trials, which I know is sort of the gold standard in terms of data when looking at um, medical cannabis. So yes, in, in the last I would say three years there is um, a lot of uh, studying mature to be a, a real clinical trial and not the kind of clinical trials that we were speaking a, a few years ago that is more observative trials. We gave cannabis, we see that this effect and that effect, these are real clinical trials, double blind placebo, we started also the pharma or you know i would say the physician will admire i think it's extremely important it's it's opened the gate to new um, population and new types of patients that we're willing to use and try when we cross this barrier yeah and i think it's extremely important and interesting absolutely Okay, so your presentation is titled The Challenges in Bridging the Gap Between Traditional and Modern Medicine in the Medicinal Cannabis Arena. It's a lot to unpack there, but um, first, could you describe the difference between traditional and modern medicine? Like, what do you mean by that? 
Yeah, so that's exactly what I ju we just said about the clinical trial. You know, there is a difference between using a herb and saying, you know, that the Chinese believe that it's good for that and that. And this is traditional. Traditional is, uh, you know, drinking, drinking, drinking a babunag and say that it's good for stomach aches or uh, taking a chinitzea or other uh, ginseng and say that this is good for that and that. Modern uh, medicine, it's proven facts, okay, like you're doing uh, clinical trials, you know what is the molecules, you know what the mechanism of action, why it's doing that, what are the side effects, what are the benefits and what are you losing, it's always, you know, kind of, of a balance. Mm -hmm. and, and this is what we call modern, okay. In, in the last 100 years, most of the, I will call modern or pharma, was single molecules to single target. Mm -hmm. And plants are never single molecules, single target. It's more complicated. And I think the pharma and the science uh, and physician was afraid about this complexity of molecules. What's happened in the last 20 years, we called it polypharmacology, when more than one compound showing an effect, combination. And what's happened in the last 20 years is computer uh, arrived in science. Today to look on network of, uh, you know, few thousand proteins, molecules, people mm -hmm. doing something, it's something that looked to us already kind of trivially, right? Networking of, we use it for everything. Also in medicine, what looks very complicated to look on three molecules, what they are doing, today it's not an Excel file, right? Three molecules, this is not a big bioinformatic, this. So this is a huge change to look on complicated action, what we called in the cannabis entourage effect, but what the meaning of that? This is polypharmacology. Few molecules are doing a complicated effect. Today, with the ability, the science ability, analytical ability, and computer bioinformatics, it's not a border anymore. We mm. can cross it easily. And this is what I think, you know, bridging the modern uh, medicine with the traditional one. Right, so it's using modern tools to really be able to find the benefits or the values um, that sort of the traditional medicines were using when it was more kind of herbal-based, right, and less single, single compound. Exactly. Think about the, the, the traditional physician 4,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, you come with inflammation, he wouldn't give you a pill with one compound, right? Yep. He will give you a leaf with a road, with a root, with a, you know, another flower, combine them together and give it. He would do what I call polypharmacology. We'll take actually few compounds from here, few compounds from here, few compounds from here. He didn't really take them, but he combined them together mm -hmm. and give you something complicated. Maybe a lot of that's placebo, but a lot of that it's knowledge that accumulate. You know, he combined this and this and the, the patient die. Okay, this is not good until he found what is helping, right? This is thousands of years that accumulating data that in the last 100 years, we put them aside. Mm. Okay, this is too complicated. Let's take the simplest one. But there are many diseases, neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer, ALS, cancer diseases, other diseases that we are hitting our head to the wall for many years. 
doesn't matter how many billions of dollars we're pouring on that. And we didn't find the compound, the single compound that's doing that. Right. And I believe that the next generation of, of uh, you know, uh, medicines will come from complicated uh, uh, medicines. Cannabis has opened the gate for that in an amazing way. It's a complicated plant with hundreds of molecules that's working in a synergism or with the, you know, entourage effect with the, you know, uh, different uh, uh, receptors hitting different receptors. And, and it's just opened the window and the gate to understand that plant, medicinal plants are like that. And today we have the tools to, to deal with that. Yeah. So cannabis brought money and the concept to build labs like my own at the Technion, but other labs that have the ability today to take a plant to look doing what we call metabolomics to look on all the active compounds to test them on different diseases to to analyze the compounds to understand the mechanism of action exactly what we did with cannabis we can do with other plants there is a lot to do still with cannabis mm. but i think it's bigger than cannabis it's open a window and a gate to bridge the traditional medicine with the yeah so are you saying there could be some opportunity to kind of look at, you know, more established medicinal plants that maybe we have gotten some of those single molecule compounds that have been effective? Like, let's go back and look at, are there other compounds in here that we could have been missing or that could have been having some kind of synergistic effect? Yes, that's what I'm doing yeah. for my, you know, <laughs> this is what I'm doing back home. Yeah. So my lab is not working just on cannabis. We are, I have three PhD students that working on algae, and other plants that we think are important medicinal plants that were too complicated and now we can break it down and understand why it's working and, and so on. So cannabis is still very important. You know, it's hitting the endocannabinoid system that it's all over our body and there is a lot to do. And it's a very unique, special plant, but for sure there are many other plants that we can benefit from the techniques and the knowledge that we learned from cannabis to other plants. Interesting. Now, one of the plants that's gotten a lot of attention lately is um, psychoactive mushrooms, psilocybe or other psilocybin producing mushrooms. Are you investigating that at all? Yeah, sure. Like part of my, my lab and, and my company is doing that. It's the same idea for me, you know, First of all, seven years ago, people said cannabis, THC, and CBD, right? Yeah. And it's the same thing as you said, you know, psychedelic mushrooms or magic mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms. What do you mean? Psilocybin mushrooms, like to say THC cannabis. It's right. one molecule. So there are, in my lab only, I have 135 different types of uh, psilocybin mushrooms, 11 different families of, of mushrooms. Every one of them contain different combination of active compounds. Psilocybin is one of them, psilocin, psilocybin. But there is, we can recognize more than 70 molecules from this family already. Wow. The combination is doing totally different effects. They're hitting specific receptors like the cannabis is hitting the endocannabinoid system. They are hitting the serotonergic system, you know, 4-HT, 5-HT, and all the family, and so on and so on. So it's the same idea as cannabis, exactly. 
we have a good idea that it's very powerfully work on our body, right? Mm -hmm. If you're taking two grams and you think you're a dolphin, it's probably powerful, <laughs> right? And, and, and I understand where these receptors are in our body, so which, uh, which uh, diseases it, I can aim and, and so on, so on. So we're, we are very strong on that as well. Excellent. All right. Well, Teddy, thanks again for taking the time to be with us here in the Coffee Talk Lounge. Looking forward to your presentation later in the event. And thank you to our sponsor, Medicine Women Health and the Hemp Coffee Exchange for sponsoring the Canada Coffee Talk Lounge. I hope you enjoyed my conversations with Seth Crawford, Inia Fia, and Deddy Miri. Thanks to them, and thanks to our sponsor, Medicine Women Health. Our next episode will drop June 8th, that's two weeks from today. In the meantime, I hope you will continue to engage with us on social media. Just search for CanMed Events to find those accounts. Also contribute to our CanMed Community Facebook group. And lastly, please sign up for email alerts at canmedevents.com if you haven't already done so. We will be sharing details about our CanMed 2023 event across all our platforms very soon, so stay tuned. We're also hard at work adding all the video recordings of our CanMed 2022 oral presentations and panel discussions to the CanMed video archive, and we'll make an announcement about that very soon as well. One last thing, and I know I say this every time, but please rate, review, and subscribe to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast on your favorite podcast app. Doing so really helps the podcast reach more listeners. Okay, that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and please join us for the next CanMed Coffee Talk. <laughs>